You've tuned into all things fine and gentry with the connoisseur, French Thompson, where consistently we bring you ideas, concepts, and exposure to thoughtful content, lifestyle enhancements, and opportunities to improve yourself and those around you. Thank you for tuning in and taking a listen to this week's episode. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to another episode of All Things Fine and Gentry. This is the connoisseur, French Thompson. And as I've started to say this year to the listening audience, you all are the connoisseurs. So welcome back, connoisseurs. Glad that you all have joined. You know, we are kicking off season two of All Things Fine and Gentry. And if this is your first time, welcome. This is French Thompson, the connoisseur of All Things Fine and Gentry. And as the intro said, we... uh, We like to bring some thoughtful content, some conversations, and be able to uh, dig a little bit deeper into these things uh, that we uh, engage in in life. And that's a a, um, a large swath of things. And fortunately, because of... uh, of, of how God has blessed me, I have a lot of people who engage in different things. And so we're able to have this conversation. So if you are a new subscriber uh, or a new listener, please subscribe, like, uh, rate, review, share. Um, it helps me to know uh, what you like, what you don't like. It also helps to grow the listening audience and it helps to um, let us know what topics you might want to hear uh, towards the future. And so um, all the formalities out of the way. Uh, this episode is going to be interesting. And the reason is, is because if any of you follow me on social, I am quite, um, uh, I don't want to call it safe, but I am risk adverse with most of my stuff on social. But I had put a story up when I had uh, kind of uh, copied and pasted or reposted what someone had said. And one of my classmates from high school said, really, French? And that started a conversation around just a whole bunch of stuff. And I told her, I said, hey, beyond you and I just having this conversation, we need to extend this to the greater um, to the greater listening audience. And uh, after some some discussion, she agreed to get on here. So uh, without further ado, my guest for today is Camille Pope. Camille, welcome to the podcast. Hey, French. How are you? Thanks for having me. I am doing well. I hope you're doing well as well. That kind of seems redundant, but there it is. Um, so uh, as you all have already tuned in or you know clicked on it, you saw that, that the topic is melanated in medicine. And uh, as Camille had told me, we don't really know if that is a real word, but ultimately <laughs> the definition of a word is a series of letters that have meaning. And so thereby... Um, we put some letters together and ultimately we're just talking about similar to how we've had uh, black men in education. Uh, we're going to be talking with a, a lot of uh, African-Americans in medicine uh, in all uh, swaths of it. Right. So not just Dr. So-and-so or, you know, nurse so-and-so, but people all around there, because I think it's a great conversation to have. And so um, what will the reason we're talking about this is because, as you all know, COVID has been around uh, in from an article I just read, that we're probably going to live with this for for a long time. Um, but I put up a post um, that said, uh, shot, no, or the, the vaccination, no, Tuskegee uh, experiments, remember that exactly. And Camille was like, French, that's just all wrong. And so we started going back and forth. And she was, you know, essentially what we got down to was that 
the African-American community and their relationship with medicine and trust of doctors and all these things like that is, is a problem that probably needs to just be discussed. We're not going to solve it, but to discuss it. And uh, we kind of started talking a little bit more. So we're going to dig a lot more deeply into it, but I want to kind of give you all the basis of how or why we're having this conversation. So as you all know, uh, as we start the, the the podcast, we like to have our, our host uh, introduce themselves, kind of where they're from, um, you know, where they went to school, how they got into it. But uh, because of the, the sensitivity of this topic, uh, Ms. Camille has something she needs to share first <laughs> before we dig into it. And it's awesome. So go ahead. I, I don't know how awesome my disclaimer is, <laughs> but I do have to get it, give it. Um, you know, basically just letting folks know who are listening to the podcast that my thoughts, views, and opinions are my own, um, and they are not that of my employer. So... And the reason she had to say that, which is interesting because she actually works for a pharmaceutical company. And um, as, as we dig into these things, as we get more and more experts on here, uh, you know, it's, it's real. Even as I do work for my company, uh, if I am serving on a board or speaking uh, in, in public venues, uh, either one or two things has to happen. Either they scrub my presentation all the way down and say, okay, you're okay mm -hmm. to say this. Or you have to say, look, this is, this is French Thompson speaking. This is not on behalf of X company. Uh, and so, which is awesome because that means Camille is awesome and her company is like, you are too important to, uh, to speak and your words be taken out of context. So that's a blessing right there. All right. So tell us about you, right? So I already said that we, we met in high school. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, we were in science and tech at Oxen Hill high school in, in Oxen Hill, Maryland. Um, and then, uh, what happened after that? You went off to this small college <laughs> in Florida. It's not somewhere. small. I it's know. Not, it's not small. <laughs> yeah. So after, after, so I'm, as French said, I'm, um, or as you said, am I supposed to look, am I supposed to talk to you or the audience? Hey, audience. That's right. <laughs> I am born in D.C., raised in, in PG, so from Prince George's County, Maryland, graduated from Oxon Hill High School, um, and then went to Florida A&M in Tallahassee, Florida. AMU is the best HBCU ever, um, and I will always go hard for AMU. I'm, I'm just saying, very we, we, can just look at, we can just look at the U.S. news, world record, hey. the rankings, and all those, I mean, but, I mean, what, what is a... Uh, a non-biased source. I'm just saying. I'm just joking. Uh, yeah. I'm a proud Rattler. There it is. Um, and I uh, graduated from the College of Pharmacy there. So I studied pharmacy at FAMU, six-year program. Graduated with my doctorate in clinical pharmacy. Um, but realized while I was in school that I did not want to pursue a career, a traditional pharmacy career mm. in like a traditional setting. So you know, mo most pharmacists that you probably know work in a drugstore, work in a hospital, work mm -hmm. in a clinic. And those are all like awesome settings. And I enjoyed my experiences and training there. Um, but when I was in school, my brother actually started working for a pharmaceutical company, mm. but he doesn't have like a clinical background or medical background. He's, you know, business all the way, sales and marketing. And I remember when he was learning about the drug that he was going to be, you know, marketing, selling mm -hmm. or what have you, I was still a student. 
And I was just like, how are you? Because you because you have to be certified. Like when you're a sales rep or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, and you're speaking on behalf of the company and that's your day-to-day job, like you have to be certified to do that, right? You got to take tests and all of this. You can't just be out there saying anything all willy-nilly <laughs> about the drug. And um, I remember when he was like studying for his certification exam, and he was telling me all this stuff about how the drug worked and the clinical study. I said, like, who taught you this? <laughs> like, because I, I knew that that was not, <laughs> I knew that that was not like his expert. Mm-hmm. Oh, we have pharmacists and physicians and, and nurse practitioners, healthcare providers, legit people yeah. who like know this, who work at the company and they teach us how to do our jobs better as sales reps. And they do other things too. But that was like my first exposure to knowing, oh, they're pharmacists that work at pharmaceutical companies. Yeah. And they don't, they don't necessarily work in a lab. Like right. they're not the R and D people only. Yeah. Exactly. They're not just research and development. So that kind of piqued my interest um, in industry. And uh, I did a postdoctoral fellowship after I graduated in pharmaceutical industry. Um, after I graduated from uh, FAMU. And I've worked in um, at several companies along the way ever since. Um, and I primarily have worked in the division called medical affairs. Mm. Um, in medical affairs, just to explain it a little bit without going into a bunch of detail, I look at them as the link between the R and D and the commercialization nice. of the drug. Like okay. the medical, the medical affairs people look at the data, and we say, make it make sense. Yeah, <laughs> what what does this mean for patients? What does it mean for physicians? For pharmacists? What do clinicians who want to prescribe the drug, what do they need to know? What's Mm -hmm. important? What are the gaps? What are the things that we didn't answer in our clinical studies that we still need to study? How do we communicate that? How do we make sure when the drug is commercialized that that gets communicated appropriately in a scientifically accurate and fair and balanced (laughs) manner? So I'm always about like, what is your source of information? Which is, again, how you said this conversation started, um, because that's what I do as part of my job and the different roles that I've had over the years on an, on a regular basis. Nice. So, um, do you, have you specialized, I guess, in any, I guess, type of medicine or have you been able to dibble and dab and maybe not medicine is the right, right word, but the, uh, types of treatment or diseases in which you are, uh, focused on, or have you been able to see all different types of the world as you've, uh, been in different companies? Um, I've worked in several therapeutic areas. Um, so, um, I've worked in oncology, I've worked in HIV and hepatitis C. Um, so yeah, I, the answers I've been able to dibble and dabble, I think my fellowship was in like cardiovascular disease. That was a long time ago though. Um, so, you know, yeah, I've, I've, I've been, I've worked in different therapeutic areas. So, um, I have to imagine that, well, first you, you spoke about, you know, a lot of, uh, diseases, um, that, uh, I don't want to say disproportionately impact African-Americans, but, you know, a lot of them do have a more pervasive, uh, case in, uh, some of our communities. Um, mm-hmm. how has that guided your, what you either are interested in or, mm-hmm. uh, some of the assignments that you've had, how has that impacted you? It's interesting because I'll say, there have always been certain disease areas that have been like particular interest to in me. Mm-hmm. And I have found when I have not worked in those areas, 
you know, and this doesn't have anything to do with like black people. Yeah, yeah. Um, but when I haven't worked in those areas where I feel like I'm what, what I'm doing really is making a difference or there's a true unmet need. Yeah. Um, you know, I still do my job well, but I'm maybe not as passionate about right. it. I don't feel as passionate. Um, and so when I and that kind of happened earlier in my career. So over the years, uh, when I've uh, you know, maybe sought out different experiences or levels of my profession. I've wanted, I've tried to be intentional in focusing on areas that I find important. Um, and that's not always areas yeah. that are, you know, more pervasive in the black community, but sometimes it is. And I think throughout healthcare in general, um, there are challenges when it comes to, um, I won't say challenges, but I think about how um, our, our, our relationship. Yeah. With the healthcare system. And it really doesn't matter what disease area it is. So like regardless of what disease area it is, whether it's something I'm passionate about or not, like I'm always going to be passionate about making sure that all patients, but especially black patients, get the best care possible. That's and they know they know like um, they know the background behind their diseases, what their options and choices are. Um, so I think that has definitely that that guides my career. And I'm actually uh bolder and talking mm. about that now like I've always felt it yeah you know and kind of like under the radar I might you know as I'm working you know say or do certain things because I know the impact that it'll have but I think even just recently I've become um more comfortable like even at work being like you know hey let's talk about these disparities yeah. and yeah. this with black people or native americans or hispanics and why they're not enrolled in clinical trials and what we could be doing different and like voicing it so. well, that's interesting right because um my the listening audience here is is two buckets right those that are essentially our age um people that we mm -hmm. we we grew up with and or you know part of the social circle and then it's it trends younger uh people that are roughly about five to 10 years younger than us. Um, and one thing that's been interesting uh, for me is as I'm talking to more of, of our peer group, uh, you know, we are roughly halfway through our career path, right? If the average career is somewhere around 30 to 35 years, most of us have been in our careers going on about 15 years now, right? And, mm -hmm. and it appears that um, a lot of folks have reached a point where like, hey, I'm a lot more comfortable in, in my role. <laughs> and I feel that now, not necessarily I didn't have a voice before, but now it's time to use that voice a little bit more, speak up a little bit more in these circles, be able to share um, my, you know, our thoughts are, you know, where, where are the gaps missing? Where are we seeing some of the mm -hmm. blind spots for our companies? And uh, it was, it, so it's interesting to kind of hear you, hear you state that. And so that, that also brings a question that I, I should have asked a little bit earlier. Why did you choose this path, right? So it's a passion that you're seeing now. Was there anything, mm -hmm. you know, in your family where you were like, man, this is messed up. I want to get into it. Or, you know, how did you choose this path? Well, I always wanted to help people. Yeah. Um, so I think that's what actually led me to pharmacy. Like I wanted to help people. I didn't necessarily want to be a physician. I was yeah. like, mm, I don't really do blood like that. You know what I'm saying? Mm, I'm trying to be doing like surgeries and you know I just I never wanted to be a physician but I wanted to work in healthcare and okay. I had a um a friend in the, who's still a mentor today a good friend of mine who he was and he's like one of my brother's best friends mm. but he was he was in pharmacy and my brother was not um 
he was graduating pharmacy school while we were finishing up high school. And um, I remember talking to him and he, when he was in high school, because my brother is six years older than I am, but when he, when they were in high school, he also like worked at, it was probably people's, it probably wasn't even people's people's back in the day. Um, and he would tell me about his experience and, you know, he was like, well, you know, if you're interested in healthcare, you don't necessarily want to be like a surgeon or a physician, um, you know, consider pharmacy. And he would tell me about his experiences in pharmacy school. And I'm like, oh, that might be an interesting career path. And then I got to pharmacy school, um, again, had the experiences of the traditional settings and enjoyed them, but still didn't feel like, eh, that's yeah. exactly where I wanted my career to go. And when I learned that there were pharmacists who worked at companies and I was like, oh, they do like medical education and there's a lot of critical thinking and taking complex scientific information and making it make sense. That's what I want to do. So that's like kind of my journey and yeah. how I got to where I am. Interesting. So, um, you know, kind of back to, like you say, you're, you have some interest in some directions in which you're like, hey, I, I, I'm more, a little bit more passionate about this than that. Um, and you spoke about the you'd be a lack of representation um, of, of black people in medicine. Uh, and so I kind of want to ask on, on both sides, right? I, I, a lot of times, you know, when I, I don't want to say I think about stereotypes, but I think about percentages, um, I realize that my social circle is a little bit different, right? That my social circle does not necessarily represent reality, um, mm-hmm. right? So, <laughs> I mean, ever since middle school, right, it's always been, I don't want to say a set apart group, but, you know, I went to a magnet middle school, science and tech in high school, went to the top HBCU, had to throw that in there. Um, went it, okay. No. <laughs> See, but I ain't even going to do you like that. Morehouse is a, is a wonderful you know, <laughs> school. Um, but I don't then, talk but, about that. I don't talk bad about the HBC. You're right. I'm, I'm just messing. Um, <laughs> and then then went to, you know, one of the top engineering schools. And, and when you're in these environments, you are surrounded by people that are like minded, that are pursuing something mm-hmm. greater. Right. So then you start to realize, even as I've gotten on social and engaged with people that, hey, man, my circle is super awesome. And my wife and I talk about it all the time. We got to take a step back, like realize the blessed opportunities we've had. All that being said, mm-hmm. um. We do know, even outside of our circle, that there is an underrepresentation, and so I want to kind of talk about both sides of it. You you already brought up kind of like the clinical trial side of it, and you know the testing, the R and D, but you know, so I want to talk about that and why you feel that it's that way, as well as on the other end, right? How many people that look like you in your department, right, in your company, you know, and and being able mm-hmm. to to say, yeah. you know, why is that there? Why is there that disparity? And so let's kind of talk first with the. Uh, the the trial side, the you know the the research and development side, um, and you know, why is it underrepresented, or what what have you seen, and and kind of where where you think we're going in that direction? Um, well, I think you have to look at both sides of the equation. Like when you think about trials, okay. clinical trials, you have to think about how we as black people. And again, I'm not, I'm not trying to be absolute here. I don't yeah, want to like yeah, speak yeah. in ab- absolute terms, but I'm going to just say we as black people, because mm-hmm. we have, you know, a shared culture and experience, um, how we think about the healthcare system and how we think about clinical trials and the historical, the valid, yeah. the valid <laughs> historical context behind that and why we feel that way. Yeah. Right. Like when you think about Okay, the Tuskegee experiment, right? Mm-hmm. You think about Henrietta Lacks. You think about, um, I can't think of his name right now, but the guy who was like the father of my, modern gynecology, mm-hmm. who was doing experiments on enslaved women with no 
like pain yeah. medication or and the like you think about that history and yeah, black people are like I ain't trying to be no <laughs> guinea pig and no trial. What? No, no, right? So there's that. Um, but what I will say about that is uh, a lot of folks they 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 use that or say that I want to say as a crutch because it's not a crutch, but then there are a lot of people who say, well. You heard about what happened in Tuskegee. Y'all don't want to be in a trial, but hmm. they don't even really know the details of the Tuskegee experiment. And they're a black person saying that. Yeah. So I'm like, it's not that what you're saying is invalid because it is, but at least make that decision based on the facts that actually happened. Like learn about the experiment, learn about why I was wrong, yeah. learn about the changes in regulations that occurred because of it, learn about the lasting impacts that it has had on our healthcare system, as well as on the patients and the families that were impacted and make your decision based off of that, not off of like a meme that you maybe saw, <laughs> <laughs> I saw you know, French post yeah. on Instagram, That's right? Real. Like do you, you got to do that due diligence before you, whether you say yay or nay mm-hmm. to being in the trial, do that due diligence around some of the perceptions that are informing your decision, right? To make sure that you at least know the facts. So, 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 like, so um, a question on, on that piece, right? So what, what are the negative impacts of not having enough representation in clinical trials? And, and maybe we might we even want to back up a little bit more and explain what clinical trials are, right? I, I want to assume that everybody on the uh, mm-hmm. on the audience knows what it is, but maybe kind of talk just a, briefly about the R and D process and how you develop a drug or a vaccine mm-hmm. or whatever, um, and then the importance of having you know a good representation of age, race, gender, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's see, drug development in very general terms is is basically <laughs> how a drug goes from being. Um, like a, a thought or a mm. test, maybe in a test tube or a petri dish, like that whole process of it then being tested in, um, you know, maybe animals mm-hmm. and then humans, and then brought to quote unquote market um, so that it can actually pres- be prescribed in the real world to patients. Um, and there are several phases. I think because of COVID, people are start- are learning more, yeah, right, are hearing right. about different phases of clinical studies. Um, so, you know, you often have like the, the preclinical phase um, where you're testing the drug, maybe not in humans, right? Mm-hmm. It usually starts off, it might be in rats or other primates. Um, and then you have uh, like phase one, which, and this can shift a little bit depending on the therapeutic area, but in general, you have like phase one, which is small, um, testing the drug in a small uh, amount of humans, healthy humans, mm-hmm. just to see if the drug is safe and effective. Like you're not even treating patients who have the actual disease that you're treating. You're looking at like a few healthy people. You're uh, trying to understand what's the best dose for this drug Mm -hmm. um, in, in healthy humans um, that will be potentially effective, but not have side effects. Mm -hmm. Um, Cause that's like the whole thing with the dosing. You want to have maximum efficacy with as little amount of side effects as possible. And then phase two, you move into a slightly larger population and you start to look at patients who actually have the disease state that you're um, interested in using the drug in. Mm-hmm. And then you have after that phase three, which are larger phase, uh, larger phase studies with more people and you're comparing, um, you know, the drug that you're again, interested in bringing into market against, uh, usually it's like standard of care. So Mm -hmm. like if there's a drug that's already used for that disease state and, you know, 
the clinical guidelines are like, this is the number one drug that everybody should be using. Well, then that's the drug that you're going to test your drug against, right? Because you want to be like, okay, well, am I just as good as that? Am I better? And, you know, the study is designed, studies are designed to determine that. Is it non-inferior? Is it superior? Um, If there is no standard of care, which is, you know, Mm -hmm. something that we sometimes see, then it may be a test against placebo where you're actually, there's not an active drug. Um, And so, yeah, so then after that, the data gets sent to regulatory authorities like the FDA. The FDA um, has experts. They've got pharmacists working <laughs> at the FDA, pharmacists, physicians, like people who know their stuff. Mm-hmm. And they review this information. Um, and then they help make that determination of this drug, the benefits of this drug outweigh the risk of you getting the disease or not being treated for the disease or dying from the disease. And it's it's relatively safe. Doesn't mean it doesn't have any side effects, right. but it's relatively safe um, and it's effective and it's we're going to prove it. And like that's how it gets. <laughs> that's how it happens. No, no, that, that's good. And so. I assume that typically, I mean, I've never been asked to be a part of a trial, but, you know, and I Mm -hmm. most, I mean, how do they communicate to or or solicit people to come in and be a part of a trial? I mean, very high level. I mean, every company is different and depending on what it is, it's different. But in general, is it kind of like a newspaper ad? Hey, you want to come get shot with this, uh, with this antidote or like how, how is it? And so in that way, how do we then not see the right representation um, of, mm-hmm. of diversity of candidates? Mm-hmm. Well, I will say, so it's not always companies that run trials, right? Oh. Sometimes there's hospitals, institutions run their own studies. Um, and they're, you know, they may be funded by a grant and get the drug, you know, um, available because it's already on the market or maybe ask the company to donate. I mean, there's all kinds of different, so I'm just saying it's not always a company okay. running a study, yeah. right? Sometimes hospitals run studies. Sometimes um, the government, like the NIH runs a study, mm. right? So that's one thing. Um, and, you know, and how, so again, I'm trying to like break it down in a way so it's easy for people to understand. You have like sites, right? Clinical trial sites, Got which it. are usually like your doctor's office, right? Mm. Or your your local hospital that has um, the ability or the infrastructure, to, or the capabilities to like run a study. So they've got enough staff and support where they can follow patients and administer the doses and all those things that are needed to make sure that the information is tracked appropriately. Um, and so the whoever is running the study, whatever entity is running the study will select um, trial sites to be part of the study and there'll be like a primary investigator who like leads that clinical trial site. Um, and so that investigator and that investigator's team. Um, and again, the investigator is usually a, a physician, right. uh, you know, like he may or may not be actively treating patients or because they're usually very involved in research. That might be somebody who does like 50% research, 50% treating patients in the clinic or whatever. Um, but the, the entity that's running the study will look for um, sites that, are interested in being part of the trial. It can recruit patients. Ideally, patients who are, you know, depending on the disease state, they might be in the community. Got it. Um, so, so you already or, have a, an audience potentially, or a, I don't call it a captive audience, but you have a, a population that you have access to that you then kind of engage in or ask or? Yeah, but then I think that's, I think that's where another challenge lies is that, there's so much because there's so many parts to this yeah, ecosystem. Yeah, I get it. Right. I get it. So like you might want to have um, a predominantly black hospital 
as a clinical trial site because they've got the patient population that you're trying to treat or a patient population reflective mm. of uh, the disease state that you're trying to treat, right? But that particular hospital doesn't have the staff or the support to actually run a study, right? Because maybe they are underfunded, maybe, you know, so, and you think about, and there might be physicians there who want to be investigators. They're like, I want to get my patients in the study. I got people who are willing and able to do it, but we don't have the infrastructure to run it. And so then it's like, well, is there a hospital in your on the other side of town that does have the infrastructure? Maybe you could send your patients there. Well, can the patients afford to travel there? Right. Can they afford to miss work for these follow-up appointments? Teach. And oftentimes when you have like this, um, you know, maybe an underserved population, they don't have the resources. You might have a patient, like a black woman, who says, I would love to be in this cancer trial, mm-hmm. but it requires eight weeks of follow-up um, three or four times a week. The hospital, the doctor who I go to, who I who I trust, mm-hmm. he wants me to be in it, but he can't run the study at his center because he doesn't have the support system. So I would have to go across town to the bigger hospital. But I can't afford to miss work mm. for eight weeks, two to three times a week, like all of that. It's so systemic. It's a systemic issue. It's how do you fix it, right? Yeah. So there's the entity that is running the study, whoever it might be, do they do you have the time and resources to maybe help this patient, help yeah. this lady? You know, can you give her bus fare or Uber yeah. fare? You know, it's it's all of those things. And I think that um when you talked about having the importance of diversity. It's the same reason you want every other things to be diverse and equal. It's the same reason in clinical trials. That's why you don't want, you know, black mm. people to get shot by the police, right? right. <laughs> you want equal, you want equal access yeah. and equal treatment. That's good. Um and what was I see? You know, got me on a tangent. But this is good, right? Because you're talking about right, because because we can sit here and look at uh, it's interesting. I just listened to a podcast uh, that talked about, you know, the way that you get better in 21. And one of the things is that you look at the process, not the results. Right. And that, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times we just focus on the results. And so, you know, even in my naivete, I'm like, well, shoot, they not asking black people to get a part of these trials. Well, you just broke it down. The process has it's a systemic <laughs> issue with the process. Right. Access to resources, the right doctors that you trust, mm-hmm. right? The, the right infrastructure to be able to do it in the community that you need. The amount of time exactly. does a person have all of the, the, the freedom, per se, to even be able to be to participate in it? That's even mm-hmm. all of that's after you get over the issue of number mistrust. one, <laughs> mistrust. And then number two, we don't go to the doctor, right? And so even the population that even is there is, is even smaller, right? And so it's um it's a much larger challenge than just saying we don't have enough black people in the clinical trials to prove that this works. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that um again, entities that run studies are they've, you know, you realize that it's a gap. Yeah. But it, it's it's there's not a simple answer for for fixing the issue. Mm. And I try to use my voice within my organization to help people realize that, you know, it's not, you're not just going to be able to say, all right, well, in 2021, we want to enroll 5% more Black people in all of our studies. But then the process that you're using for site selection, identifying investigators, you don't, you don't change it, right? Or you don't realize, like, you gotta, there's a lot of other things that you have to overcome before maybe black people are interested in clinical trials. Like they might just be like, no, yeah, 
No, right. because of, for cultural reasons. And right. if you as an entity trying to do that research, you don't get that. And you're not genuine about your um, your goal for even wanting to reach out and say, hey, we, we want you to be involved. You know, again, I don't like to speak in absolutes, but I can speak for myself. As a black woman, don't reach out to me when you, oh, now I'm important and you want right. me in a trap, right? You know, like, you know, but you haven't, you you haven't come before. You haven't tried to build that trust. You've got to, it takes time and investment. It's not something that you can just say, oh, we want to do this, you know. Yeah. And put some numbers in place and think it's going to magically happen. There are things that you have to understand historically. There are approaches that you have to take that are unique to the population you're trying to reach. Um, and you've got to be willing as, again, an entity trying to do the research to put in that work. You have to be willing to do that. And then on the flip side, as, as patients, you know, again, if I'm a black woman and mm-hmm. I'm saying I want to be involved in clinical trials or I'm, I want to know more, I have to be willing to be real be honest with myself about yeah. my, my, be vulnerable about my trust issues like yeah. and am i am i okay you know i know what happened in the past you know to see 1932 lasted for 40 years mm-hmm. you know we know you know these things and it's sometimes something you can you can struggle with um and that's where i think like there's a circle of you know assumptions and mistrust that we have to i don't i don't know how to uh, yeah. fix it right but we have to get over it and then the one last thing i, I won't say get over it but we have to um Think about ways of addressing it, you know, and be real about addressing it. And the other thing I'll say in terms of assumptions is that I think they're within just in the healthcare system. um, People make assumptions about black people or Hispanic people or Native Americans, like maybe your physician who you know and trust and love is an investigator for a big time clinical study. But He's like, it might be, you know, maybe he's Caucasian, maybe he's not black. Maybe he is black. He's like, yeah, I don't really ask my black patients to participate Mm. in clinical trials because I just assume they don't want to. You know, Tuskegee. (laughs) And you're like, well, wait, wait, I might have been interested, right? It's not even, it's not even offered. Right. So how do you, how do you address that bias? Conscious or unconscious? This is so interesting, right? Because, um... I mean, it's a diversity and inclusion conversation, period, right? And as you as you look at it, it, it it's the same conversation I see at my job when we're talking about, mm-hmm. you know, uh, recruitment and retention, right? Well, mm-hmm. you as the recruiter have to be willing to go outside of your comfort zone, meaning that you're going to have to recruit at HBCUs if you want more yes. African-Americans, right? Um, you're mm-hmm. also going to have to get over the stereotype that, you know, this type of this line of work, only certain types of people work here. Right. Mm-hmm. But then on the flip side, the candidates, the, you know, re- recruited have, you have to be willing to guess what? We don't operate in Atlanta. So you're going to have to be willing to go, you know, somewhere where you're not comfortable <laughs> with, you're mm-hmm. going to have to get over that. And it's a, it's a symbiotic relationship for this, for diversity and inclusion to be successful on whatever plane it is it has to be mm-hmm. a a give and take on both sides because mm-hmm. other because it isn't just a you know from the black person's perspective y'all just got to do more for me right you have you also mm-hmm. have to step out on faith and then the flip side is you can't sit there and assume that you know people are just going to show up at your door saying hey i want to be a part now you're going to have to extend that that exactly. trust that's good that's good all right so um I, we, we talked a lot about on the other side. Um, and then when I said about, you know, well, I mean, the other side being the clinical trial side, 
uh, you know, the, the latter half of this, I want to kind of talk about your experience as far as being in a minority in medicine. Um, I yeah. mean, you, I mean, you, you went to an HBCU that, you know, has a specialty program in pharmacy, right. That produces so many doctorates and things like that out of there. So, you know, that population is one thing, but how has your experience been being a number one black person, number two, a black woman in medicine? Um, you know, how's that experience been? And then we'll kind of talk about, you know, what's next for, for Ms. Camille. Um, I think my experience, I think my experience is that, well, you know, I, I work more in a corporate environment, right? right? So I think that my experience as a black woman in a corporate environment, it, you know, whether it's pharmaceutical industry or whatever, it mirrors a lot of what you hear black women say at <laughs> the challenges and other, you know, yeah. other corporate environments. I, there aren't always other people on my team who look like me or who are from me, who are, who are black women, you know, and typically, um, no matter like where I've worked, you know, we, we know each other. I know the black people, I know the black people on my team. (laughs) I know the black people on the other teams who Mm -hmm. work in this office building. Listen, I know, I I know, I know a lot of black people around campus. I know the, 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 the the older black woman who works in the cafeteria, Mm -hmm. like that's my girl, you know, we, you, you, I think it's very similar regardless of yeah. where you work. Like, like begets like you recognize, okay, there are not a lot of us. We're going to have to support each other. Um, we're going to have to help lift each other up. We're going to have to share opportunities with each other. Um, and my experience has actually been um, really great. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like I have an awesome network of young black people who work in, you know, pharma or whatever. Um, and it's a really supportive network across Mm -hmm. different geographies, companies or what have you. And we share our challenges. We talk about, all right, like this happened. (laughs) You know, I had this issue, I had this issue at work today, or I had this issue, you know, uh, whether it's like career related or whether it's like work with the stuff we do, like from a child perspective related, like, what are your thoughts on how I can overcome this? Like, it's, I've, I've found a very supportive network. Um, were, were you surprised by that? Right. I mean, were you, yeah, I don't know what your expectations were coming into it. Did you expect to find such a large network, even outside of knowing what you knew coming out of fame? Um, did you expect to see that or was it surprising or, you know, have there been things that you have done that you have, you know, changed that you're like, hey, I wish that this was done for me. Therefore, I am doing it for others. Um, I think it's a mix of both. Mm-hmm. Um, I think because the career route that I took was non-traditional anyway, yeah. like it's non-traditional, even if you're not black. That's right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So um, I was able to find mentors early in my career you know, black women, a couple of black women who have helped me along the way. Mm -hmm. And I have made it my, my business to do that for others. Um, so it's not that, Oh, it, it wasn't done for me. So I'm doing it because it wasn't done for me. Like I do it because I'm paying it forward. And I mean, I talk to it, you know, not just black students, but I talked to st- anybody, anybody interested who's a pharmacist and it's like, I want to go in the industry. I'm like, let's call me up, yeah. you know, and, you know, you want to do a fellowship? Let's talk about it. Um, I actually um, started uh, because they're there. And I will say that there are more uh, young black pharmacists 
um, and Black people in general starting to go the route of working in industry or some mm. of these different kind of things. You know, that's just over time. Um, but there's still a gap. And one of the things that I actually have done is like started a program within my organization nice. focused on bringing in local HBCU students nice. and talent and giving them that experience so that they can know that these type of opportunities exist. That's awesome. Um, so it's, it's something I'm really passionate about, but it's not because I've had a bad experience. Right, it's because right. I've seen how beneficial it was for me. And I'm like, y'all are going to need this. We're going to work together. So. Awesome. All right. So um, what, what's what's next for you? Right. You're you know, <laughs> <laughs> almost almost two decades in on this. Right. Um, you know, what's what's next? Do you see yourself still kind of being in this um, this go between between the the uh, the researchers and the marketers? Or do you see yourself doing something different? I could tell my husband I'm ready to retire. But he's like <laughs> He's like, no, not yet. No, I'm just joking. Um, I do. I would like to. If I retire, like I wouldn't. I retire from, you know, the yeah. grind. I'd still yeah. probably work doing something that I'm passionate about. Um, but that ain't gonna happen no time soon. <laughs> uh, um, I, I, where do I? I I really have found in the last year or so that I'm very passionate about the inclusion and diversity piece nice. when it comes to medical yeah medical within industry mm-hmm. right and how are we engaging patients who we haven't engaged before yeah and how are we thinking about that what do we want to do differently um why do we want to do it you know um are we genuine yeah are you know are, are we coming across as genuine in our efforts you know and and, and trying to have that type of influence in my role so i mean i don't see where that's going to lead but i you know i've i've become really passionate about it in the last six or nine months again it's kind of come to the forefront right. i think because of the quote-unquote racial reckoning reckoning that the country <laughs> has had um where i'm like yeah this is something that i kind of was doing in the background but if there's a way that i can influence more so in the forefront let me figure that out you that's know awesome. um so that's where I see myself going. I, I, assume, I think I see myself still in medical, but more thinking about the inclusion and diversity piece of research. That's good. And how are we making sure that the, the way that we study our drugs is reflective of the disease and the population that we are trying to treat in the real world? And how are we making sure that those patients are comfortable and we're sharing information that's accurate in a manner that they can, that patients can understand it. So that they want to be involved as opposed to being risk averse and being yeah. like, uh-uh, no, you know, how do we, how do we marry those things? That's good. So, that's-, that's good. All right. So <clears throat> thank you for being on the podcast today. I know, you know, we kind of had a lot of conversation and you were a little nervous in the beginning, but I think you just you <laughs> went right for it. So, so, you know, two last things, um, you know, the, the first thing, or really the second thing, will be how can people get in contact with you? Obviously, you're passionate about it. If there's somebody that's on the, on the podcast <laughs> platform that's like, hey, I am one of those young students that may be interested in this. Um, is there a way for them to connect with you? Um, that's number two. So you can think about that as you're working on the first one. The, the, the first thing is kind of we've talked about a lot today, right? Um, and there's so much more of this conversation. And that's why we're, we're going to have this 
kind of ongoing sub-series of Melanated in Medicine. Uh, so we can get these different perspectives. You know, we're going to have a gastroenterologist on here. We're going to have, Ooh, you know, a primary care physician on there. Yeah. So we're, we're going to you're going to have to talk about these things because it's a it's a whole part of a fine and gentry life. Right. All of these things are a part of it. <laughs> um, but on this topic, you know, what kind of final thoughts or, you know, uh, considerations or something that you'll you know, you would like to share to people that may be listening to this that may still have some reservations or, you know, uh, you know, assumptions and things like that, kind of, you know, what would be your your final elevator pitch in saying, you know, about the process, about medicine, about kind of this, um, uh, uh, this misconnection that we have? Any, any kind of final thoughts that you have on that? Hmm. I would say if you're hesitant or you have questions, Ask somebody, ask, ask someone who you, I think there are like two elements that are key to whoever you talk to, right? You, is their area of expertise? Yep. Right. Right. Like if you, if, if you needed a new engine for your car, would you ask your dentist to put the new (laughs) engine in your car? No, you would go to a mechanic Yeah. and you would be like, Hey, can you look at my engine? Can you replace this? Find somebody who it, it, medicine is their expertise. If Mm. you got questions about cancer, talk to an oncologist, like, you know, so that's the first thing is their area of expertise. Number two, um, that you trust them, right? Like it's somebody who you trust. You can trust people, but they be talking about things that are not their areas of expertise. Well, then I'm not going to necessarily listen to what you have to say about that topic. Or I'm going to ask you, what's your source? Where did you get that information from? Um, and is that a credible source? Because, just because you say it or posted it or because you saw it doesn't make it true if it didn't come from a credible source. So I think we should be more willing to ask questions that we have and ask them to people who we, you know, that's what they do. Mm -hmm. You know, they're experts in that field and you trust them. Um, I think one of the challenges is sometimes we don't know because you don't, you don't know what you don't know. Like if you're not in medicine, you're like, well, I'll talk to a nurse. Mm -hmm. You thought she was talking to a nurse and she still didn't necessarily, you know, she really wasn't an expert though. So I think that you have to do more, too, than just ask one or two people. Like, you have to ask several people who could potentially be your credible sources um, and see if, like, what they're telling you doesn't align or are they to- saying totally separate things whether something's not jiving. Um, and just, like, be really willing to answer those questions and dig deeper until you're comfortable with making whatever decision you have to make as it relates to healthcare. And try to find people who, if you're, you know, look like you and speak like you. Um, I think that's one of the challenges um, I see with Blacks and um, the Blacks with (laughs) us (laughs) uh, in the healthcare system is, you know, we're, I won't say challenges, but it's an opportunity. Like if you can find a physician or a pharmacist, or you know somebody who knows a physician or a pharmacist who talks like you, speaks in your vernacular, looks like you can relate to your experiences, that helps build trust right there. Yeah. Um, and when you don't have that, it's really hard to ingest the information that somebody is giving you. That's good. Um, so that's, good. that's what, that's, that's my, 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 I guess my final point for the, <laughs> the afternoon is make sure your sources where you're getting your information are credible. And the way you identify credible sources are people who are experts in that field and you can, you can trust them. Nice. They're telling you. Okay. So, if somebody were desire to connect and learn a little bit more, if you if you want to share, you can. If not, we'll just uh, skip passes and edit it out of the podcast. But um, <laughs> is there a way for for people that may be interested? Uh, and and for the the connoisseurs on here, this ain't just a 
challenge her about the Tuskegee experiment. But if you guys are truly interested in um, just learning more about, you know, uh, the pharmaceutical industry and really more about, you know, career paths and, and things like that, um, can how, how would a person get in touch with you if they desire to? If it's like, I guess, work related or industry related, the young black, the young black woman that wants to connect with you to understand like this, this, this world. Can they, can they get you on LinkedIn? I I was about to say LinkedIn, LinkedIn. I'm I'm on LinkedIn. There it is. I'm like IG and I keep IG and Facebook are like totally separate (laughs) from LinkedIn. But yeah, you can, you can hit me up on LinkedIn and I usually respond. So. There it is. Well, thank you so much for for taking the time out today to talk with with me. Um, this was good. This was good, and I like That's it. <laughs> <laughs> this is good. And I had a lot lot of uh, you know more stuff. I'm like, man, this would be good even from a follow up perspective. But thank you for taking the time today. We appreciate oh, it. Thank you for having me. This was fun. I'm Thanks, glad. Brent. I'm glad. All right. So if you all enjoyed it um, or didn't enjoy it, got questions or anything like this, as I say all the time, please like share, subscribe, rate, review on whatever podcast platform that you're listening to. I hope that you've enjoyed it. Hope that you've been educated today. And it's something that continues to uh, perpetuate a conversation amongst your own community about your relationship with medicine and how you can get better and live a better and more fine and gentry life. So thank you all for listening. And we'll talk to you guys after a while.